Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is Vaughn McKenzie. Uh, co-founder, CEO of Jack, J-A-A-K dot I-O. Vaughn, how are you doing? Hey, uh, I'm good. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's a strange name for a uh, for a company. What does Jack mean? Is it an acronym? And, you know, what is that? what do you do at Jack? Yeah, so um, the name actually came from uh, two things. One was uh, the idea of an audio Jack. Um, when we started, we were trying to be uh, for a humble streaming company. Um, and um, it also uh, kind of also connects to the word hijack, which was the idea of our original streaming company. You can just hijack streams from anywhere in the world. So that's how we got to uh, that's how we got to the name. Okay, it makes sense. Or you can jack into a system, you know. That's so the idea, jack in. Yeah. So all right, what, can you um, just say it a different way? So what does Jack do? You know, as a user, what would I experience? Or you know, what's the premise of the company? So the um, terms of the company is we we kind of want to build out a, a shared decentralized piece of infrastructure for the music industry or the general media industry um so the idea would be that what the first kind of uh, use case for our platform the first part of our platform which is called meta is to uh, basically allow someone to roll out this uh, meta node or connect to the meta network and be able to um to basically push information into this generalized infrastructure so we think at the moment that the you know, many industries have started to outsource um, uh, data server server management to uh, to companies like AWS or infrastructure as a service. This idea takes that one step further in terms of actually outsourcing the, the, the database and database services, the actual information itself. This is really important to industries where it's important to get a single source of truth, and the music industry is, is kind of uh, struggled to, to kind of maintain a single source of truth or a global picture of who owns which rights. So that's the first step. But the second step is called Jack, and Jack is the uh, content platform that sits on top of it. So once we kind of have all the information, it means we can build out a really scalable licensing solution. So what it means for users is uh, one day, hopefully in the future, it'll be very, very easy to build out applications that use content and information from any content owner on, on, on the in the world, basically. And um, that's a really fine proposition because for any, any entrepreneur, developer, blogger, um, social media user who wants to use content in any of the things that they're creating, so all creators now, they're kind of hampered by the fact that they can't get access to premium content. Um, and again, you can kind of see how that has affected some of the bigger uh, platforms out there and having to kind of uh, employ safe harbor, um, kind of, um, yeah, 
safe harbor <laughs> provisions around their platform. All right. So let's say I'm a you know I'm a songwriter. I don't know. I've written ten songs. What does that mean? A single point of truth. I mean, what what would I do with my music under the Jack system versus what I might do with it now? And why would that benefit me? Yeah, so today at the moment there are um, there's a few things that are uh, are relatively difficult to do. So once you create a composition, um, if you want it to basically from the day you create any music, it can be commercialized globally because an MP3 travels very, very, very well, um, and copies can proliferate anywhere in the world. However, the rights information, the fact that you own that, is hampered by your ability to register your work, the thing you've created, in as many databases as possible. So the people who are able to collect that money for you actually have that information. The system that we have today is is you know is a relatively slow system. So you know it can take up to twelve months to two years to actually get paid for use of your material. So the first opportunity there would be that you can decrease that to something that is real time. So the fact that anyone globally could listen to your music um, or something you've written and you would get paid at the moment it happened versus what happens there where it takes kind of a very, very long time. The second is more opportunities. The fact that you've decreased the uh, access to content, the access to um, to the information, the rights information about who owns what, means that more people can actually use it. Um, and that means that you can uh, increase, mostly along the long tail, um, the amount of people who have access to, to drive revenue for your content. So it likely means you're going to get your money faster and it probably means you're going to have access to more money or more revenue. Right, so if I have a song, I would I would what uh, register or anchor that song and the MP3 associated with it onto a blockchain, and therefore it would you know, timestamp and show that you know I'm the uh, the creator of that song, and then I could I guess use the same platform, use the same blockchain to make it available to people everywhere. Yeah, I mean, so there's kind of a generic way of saying, you know, we're going to use a blockchain to do X and we're going to push it into the blockchain and timestamp it. We've kind of um, decided that that's not really what we want to roll out as a solution. It's kind of like the, the base level of what you'd want to do. What will probably happen for most songwriters is they will never, most of the time, they won't even know that they're using it. What we'll do is we'll be the back end for many of the platforms they use today. It would just mean that when you have one entry point to the uh, the kind of global rights databases that exist around the world, um, you could make that one entry point in the supply chain um, propagate across everywhere. So that's kind of the idea is that you probably, the systems would remain the same or look the same. But the opportunity, the, the idea would be that the, the entry points are a lot simpler. So if I register once, register everywhere. So everybody knows that you made a song and who, who they need to pay uh, should they decide to use it. Okay, that makes sense. How how would the system know, you know, if that my song should be unique to me and I didn't copy it from someone else? You know, let's say I sang my own version of like Michael Jackson's "Beat It" and I, you know, sang it horribly, but I said, "Oh, it's my song." You know, I wrote that song and I try to put it on your system. How would your system prevent me from doing that and say, "No, no, it's it's Michael Jackson's man. That's not yours." I completely get what you mean. So the way that we um, we solve that is with a platform that we call Meta ID. So the way that we do it is basically we we make sure that we have a very very good understanding of who is who. What that means is that we don't have to trust anybody on the platform, but trust is actually um, decentralized and kind of pushed out to uh, other people in the network. If you want to actually be able to publish, a, you could pub, you could go into our network and say I own this Michael Jackson song, and the system would say thank you and it would store it. And then what happens is when someone wants to uh, to to pay for the Michael Jackson song, 
when they pay someone, they'll have to look for who actually made that claim. And they'll look at you and they'll say, well, uh, we actually have no knowledge of this person and um, that person isn't connected to any of the other trusted entities that we would normally go to. So um, we just leverage existing trust networks. If you're if you're registered in the um, information, the, the kind of, um, sorry, the IPI database, then we would be able to say, right, you know, you're this performer. Or if you're registered, say, at your local PRO, we could check them and say, okay, you're registered there. So it's likely that, you know, Vaughan McKenzie is Vaughan McKenzie um, and we could make sure that Vaughan McKenzie isn't Michael Jackson. Um, so we basically just use existing networks to, to, to bring that trust in. What about a, a voting system? You know, let's say for music or for content, would it, would it be, I don't know if it's necessary, you know, maybe the system could do it without it, but would it be useful to have feedback from users or consumers of the content to say, I don't think this is the original, or I don't think that this is right. It doesn't, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't look right. You know, to help ensure that there's no fraud in the system, you know? Yeah. So I think there's, um, there's a really good case for saying that you could use, um, voting to decide whether something was right or not. But any problem would be that um, you have to have an upper bound on the voting. So, so if something right or wrong is kind of a, it's kind of a, it's not very binary in music. If you went and if you went and recorded a version of Michael Jackson, um, what you would be doing is you'd be leveraging the underlying right or composition of that song. So if you called, recorded, you know, Michael Jackson beat it, um, then Michael Jackson would technically, or Michael Jackson's estate would still be getting paid every single time your song was commercialized. The, and that's the, the cover system. That's just the cover. So you would still be able to get paid for the recording. If you go and look on Spotify, there are an n- infinite number of, of kind of um, uh, spoof versions or, um, or cover versions of every song imaginable. So I think from that perspective, um, that shouldn't be a problem. If someone was trying to spoof the underlying ownership of the of the um, composition, that would be a very different thing. So you could go in there and say, I actually wrote the beat, the beat it song, and that would be something else. The problem you would have is that you could claim a song from a very long time ago, but there's very, very there's already a very proven network of people who un- who know who wrote that song, and we can test that we can um, verify that by just mapping different sources of information together. I.e., we know who the publisher was for that song. We know who the um, the uh, underlying writer was for that song. We know who the recording artist was for that song. We know who the label was for that song. And each of those parties can verify who the right people were. Um, and that basically allows us to achieve consensus rather than having a binary, everyone voted that this is actually not written by uh, by Vaughan, it's written by Michael Jackson. Um, you would never be able to make a, a clear binary decision to when that was correct or when it was false. So that's why we don't use... Uh, that's just why we don't think necessarily that voting is the right way to achieve a kind of yes/no tick on whether the song is actually owned by someone. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So um, right now, you said it can take uh, a year or two to syndicate a given work, you know, to all the the necessary places. I mean, what are the top places that content can go? You know, uh, user-created content, songs, blogs, whatever it is, and and how could your system do it so much faster and easier? So, so the idea is that the the content is already pretty much everywhere. It's not hard to find content, um, but it's hard to find out who owns that content. So it means that um, sanctioned use of content is is pretty hard to to make happen. Um, even um, when you put a a song on to a platform like Facebook, um, technically there's there should be a license fee there because there's a there's a broadcast or performance of that song on this platform, and someone needs to pay for it. These are really interesting questions to answer. And what our platform would do is it would mean that we make it even easier to allow people to pay. 
first by making sure the information is easy, easily accessible, um, making sure it's in the right place when people need it. And the second part is around um, providing easy access for developers to build these things into their applications. So if you no longer have to rely on um, kind of a uh, reporting, um, monthly reporting on who used which content on your platform and instead you have a real-time access to an API, it really changes the dynamics of, of kind of how easy it is to license something and to get paid for use of content. I think that's how we would make it easy for a blogger. If you're a blogger today and you want to put a song on your on your on your blog, the you know as one use case, your today your options are um, steal it, uh, use a YouTube video, or to um, to actually um, use SoundCloud if the song's been is put on SoundCloud. Um, the idea there is that the uh, the artists themselves aren't getting you know um, the the right amount of remuneration for that because of the type of performance. And what we're suggesting here is that you could go up it further and actually say, the way that we have Spotify, um, the way that Spotify works today would be if I was to put it on my, uh, on my blog and it was a Spotify link or an Apple Music link, you'd have to be paying for Apple Music or Spotify in order to play it. And this fix that by making the, the model um, so fluid that the actual blogger could say, right, I'm willing to pay for a certain number of plays and we put it on my blog and great, now my readers can listen to the music and they may actually go off and, and buy the music after that or stream the music personally themselves. So again, it's all about lowering barriers to entry for people who want to use content. So if the future is content everywhere, then actually the rights can also be everywhere. So, um, you know, from what I've heard, people don't get uh, a very, they get a very small fraction of the revenue for their content, you know, for the music, etc. Do you think this will change the revenue share model where, uh, creators will get more of the revenue or it just or no they'll just be able to syndicate it to more places faster and and maybe control how it's how it's used so they'll get more revenue that way so i think there's, there's two sides to that right so one is how much is it what the margins involved with making money from music i think that at the moment is quite hard to discern that because it's a very complex business and money doesn't really travel with content it travels afterwards so um and because it's very hard to discern who owns what, most of the payments, the major payments in the music industry are paid out on market share. So if I know someone has a certain amount of market share, that's how much I pay them, not on the actual usage of their content. So these things are relatively, they are really, really hard to figure out. Um, so what it would do is it would mean that it's very likely that there would be some movement in how much money people are paid, i.e. if you're an artist who genuinely gets played a lot, then it would be much easier to allocate those payments to you. Overall, that won't really add much money to this to the overall ecosystem. But what it would do is it would decrease the cost of 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 delivering payments to um, to creators. So that would mean that there's more money available of the total amount there. Um, in terms of affecting the deals that creators have signed, that's not that's not really what the technology is there to do. If you if you're if you're a creator and you've signed a contract that specifies how much you get paid every time your song gets played. Um, Technology alone can't save that. That's that's kind of that's a contract or a legal relationship with the with the the, with the company you've signed your rights over to. Um, but where where there's a likely to be an uptick in revenue is going to be around the new types of services that can now be built off of the back of of these kind of decentralized pieces of infrastructure. So um, as I said before, if you can if there are like a hundred companies who can currently license content from a from a from a major label or from an independent label, they they can't scale to deliver to thousands or to millions, then this infrastructure may enable that by simplifying the, the rights infrastructure, simplifying the data infrastructure and making it much easier to license. And do, doing self-serve licensing, for instance. Um, again, that would mean you can serve more people, which means more revenue. What if um you know I'm I'm a 
purist and I, I wrote some songs and I don't like iTunes and I don't like SoundCloud. I don't like Spotify. And I feel like they're going to take 99% of my revenue and leave me with the crumbs. Is there a way through your system to syndicate my music, for instance, in a lot of places, but, but still maintain a large percentage of the possible revenue and avoid these big, you know, walled gardens where they, you know, again, they, they take most of the revenue and I only get a tiny bit. I think that the idea is that we we would allow it's a standardized framework for um, for uh, managing rights and delivering content and getting paid. So yeah, it could it can enable all kinds of, of of different interactions. If you're someone who just wants to create a website and put stuff on your website and handle all the rights and deliver all the content, you can 100% do that using our framework. The the thing with music is that um, music tends to amass most of its money when people can listen to it in one seamless experience. So unlike TV and film, where you can really really fragment the entire content. So again, Netflix have a tiny percentage of the world's, world's global TV and film. Um, you know, where Spotify have to have pretty much everything. Um, that's kind of that's kind of a really important point that um, the entire economy, um, the entire music economy, really um, is, is is just a big bundle. You know, we sell music as a bundle, and if you're not in that bundle, you kind of can't command command as much revenue. So yes, if you're an independent creator and you want to sell music directly, um, you can definitely do that. But you may find there's more that you know most people find that there may be more money on in kind of bundling your your music with the rest of the world's music um, on a on a service like Spotify. But I'm sure that we'll we'll see loads of uh, creators experimenting with different models once it's easier to experiment. That makes sense. So where are you guys at now? Uh, uh, do you have the network set up? Are people able to put their content on it? I mean, what stage are you at right now? So we're at a uh, we've uh, we're at the point where we are now um, setting up the network. We're in a private alpha. Uh, we're doing a pilot pot- a pilot initiative, and we have about eight companies in that pilot initiative at the moment. Um, we are actively building out that group, so we expect to, to kind of expand it um, over the next few months. We're doing that for about six months before we will have a public um, alpha. Um, maybe maybe before that, but that's kind of our time for the moment. Maybe something that people can start to use and, and work with themselves in the next kind of six months. And what's the roadmap from there? You know, how about for a whole year out? Are you going to be in a, a public alpha by then or public beta? Yeah, so by the, by, and then a few months after that, we'll be pushing into public beta, and then the, the idea is that it's in from public beta, it's basically a live product, um, and you know that people will be able to use it, uh, which is the plan at the moment. And within twelve months, we hope that we'll be able to map, um, you know, a large percentage of the world's global music rights information, and thereby creating the the kind of uh, the right environment to start building out uh, all kinds of new applications for the music industry. And the whole point of the pilot is to test how these things might work in the wild. Um, with kind of a limited amount of the data, so um, you know, with all kind of with, with everything tax everything goes to goes plan, we're going to be in a great place in twelve months. All right, well, very good. And you're going to be focused mostly on music or what types of content? Is that one more time? Oh, you're going to be focused mostly on music, or is there going to be other types of content as well? So um, our main focus at the moment is music. Um, however, we are exploring other types of content. We have a pilot with Firecoms to explore uh, syndicating um, TV content. So um, we're not just restricted to music. And there are obviously applications way beyond rights and music um, that our platform could be used for. So, um, but yeah, at the moment, sticking to music and uh, kind of looking at and appearing into TV and film. Yeah, you said it's going to change how, how uh, you know, artists get their music out there and how people interact with it. What? What do you think it's going to do? What do you think the results of the, uh, of the alpha or the beta will be? Any insights that uh, 
you think are surprises or, you know, what will um, an artist experience be, differently? So I think within the pilot, I don't expect there to be massive change for an artist because what we're trying to do is just establish the rights infrastructure underneath it. But I think one of the things that's going to be really important for artists and one of, one of the things that's been driven by the whole blockchain and music conversation is around digital identity and being able to know who an artist is as their information moves between different systems. And that's becoming a really important thing that we'll probably see um, see really affected over the next kind of six months, uh, even within and outside of the pilot. And it's not just us driving that conversation. There's a few different people who are, who are kind of leading initiatives to try and sort that out and try and focus on that. All right. Well, very good. So how can interested uh, artists and, and people get in contact with you and find out more about your platform? Yeah, so um, there's two ways to do that. There's uh, You can go to our Slack and sign up there. So there's a community.meta-network uh, at, uh, sorry, <laughs> community.meta-network.io. Um, and there you can sign up for Slack. Um, and we're on Twitter. And on our website, you can also sign up to our newsletter. And if you reach out to us at meta.io, um, we're always looking for people to speak to and, uh, and, and talk about what we're working on. Okay. Well, very good. Vaughn. Thanks. It's an interesting concept and uh, hopefully to be, you know, bad pun intended uh, music to many people's ears. I, I really like that one. Actually. <laughs> I might steal it. Yeah, right on. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, cheers, man. The Bitcoin, Ethereum and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17 and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 